This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we talk about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. Now, we know that lots of people find it very difficult to pay off debt when they're juggling multiple creditors, uh, debt payments on a monthly basis, each have their own set of fees and interest charges. So the idea of debt consolidation is one that we hear about all the time and certainly see on the television and hear on the radio when we see the ads. Uh, Debt consolidation is a debt management tool uh, that you can consider, but you might be surprised to hear that there's more than one way to consolidate that consumer debt. And this is a good segment because we take one specific amount of money and we look at it from all the different mm-hmm. vantage points. So it gives you some really good concrete uh, information and a, and a way to look at it that we don't always do on, on in our segments, which I think mm-hmm. is kind of great, Blair. Yeah, no, thrilled about this one because debt consolidation is really such a popular term, you know, just about anybody who's in debt, the first thing they start to look at it, the first thing everybody tells them to do is, hey, you just got to consolidate, consolidate the debt. But what does that really mean, right? And we hear it, yeah. right? I can't I can't say how many times I hear that on the radio and see it yeah. on television when you're watching local television or television stations from the States as well. It's all about yeah. that. And and that's why it's such an important thing to look at because it's, it's not as easy as it sounds and it's pretty complicated and it can be a lot of things that you sort of don't think it is. Yeah. And so let's start at the basics. You know, what do we really mean by debt consolidation? And, you know, the basic word consolidation just means to put everything together. Right. So the idea of a debt consolidation is that you're going to have one loan with typically a different bank, but it could be the same bank that you already owe money to. But instead of owing five different banks or 10 different banks, you're just going to have one. So essentially one bank is going to step up. They're going to pay off all of your other debt and they're going to give you a monthly payment amount that typically the benefit here is twofold. You know, one is it's way more simple. You're dealing with one bank, one set of terms, one set of requirements, but also it should be cheaper because if you're dealing with consumer debt, for the most part, people are paying, you know, 19 to 29% on on interest rates on credit cards, store credit cards, or bank issued. Um, so if you're doing a consolidation loan, typically your interest rate is going to be a lot lower, You know, maybe more in the range of about 12% um, on your money. So the idea is you're going to save a little bit of money, you're going to have a more simple financial life. So it sounds great, right? It does. It sounds very great, and especially when you go from 19% credit card interest rate to 12%. Mm-hmm. But hang on, 12% is still a heck of a lot of money. Yeah, at the end of the day, you've still got you know whatever this amount of debt is. And again, for the purposes of an example, let's pick a reasonable amount of debt. And this is actually lower than the average Canadian, which is amazing, but um, it's basically $20,000. If you had $20,000 of of consumer debt and you decided to do a consolidation loan, um, we've made an assumption that you'd want to pay off the consolidation loan in around three years. And we've also assumed that the interest rate is going to be about 12% on that money. Um, If that's the case, your monthly payment is going to be approximately $665 a month 
over three years. Okay, so that sounds pretty attractive to me, but especially if I'm stressed about owing $20,000 and now I've got mm-hmm. one payment to make a month yep. and it's six sixty, And it's probably less than your minimum payments and it's probably you know going to get you out of debt sooner because it's over a three-year period. So it sounds good, right? Sounds good. Yep. So why isn't it the best Well, option? the biggest catch is that just about anybody who needs a consolidation loan is also the person that's going to find it most difficult to qualify for a consolidation loan. Because if you think about the bank is stepping up and they're paying off everybody else's debt, they're paying their own money out to basically take on your debt. They need some guarantee they're going to get paid. And typically, unless you've got some equity in real estate or you've got an investment you're going to give the bank some security over, unless you have an asset that you're able to pledge to the bank to say, if I don't pay off this consolidation loan, you guys are, are going to get your money one way or the other. You're either going to seize my house or seize another asset. Unless you're able to do that, almost nobody can qualify for a consolidation loan at a reasonable rate. Now, there is a percentage of people who are listening to this show who they would fit into that category. They've mm-hmm. got a house, they've yep. got a whatever whatever the uh, whatever the the uh, security is. Yep. But there's a huge chunk of folks who don't have that. That's right. So they got no free and clear assets or yeah. they don't have a solid credit rating or the income isn't enough for them to afford those payments. That's where a bank consolidation loan just isn't going to work. If you know, even getting the payments down to 665 if you can if you could get that, if that's not going to fit in your budget, well then you haven't solved any problems. And that's on top of living every day or every month, uh, you know, those costs, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. So second option is Credit counseling consolidation. Yeah, so so this now you'll see a bunch of advertising all the time for various credit counselors and not-for-profit credit counselors. And one thing that we've touched on a number of times, Elaine, but it bears repeating, is you really need to consider that when you see credit counselor, even not-for-profit credit counselor, those words mean collection agent. Yes. Okay, because a credit counselor, their function is to get 100% of the money that you owe paid back to the creditor. Okay, which that's a collection agent function. They're paid by the creditor. So the biggest not-for-profit credit counseling agencies are all funded by the banks. So I'm just saying this so people are aware, but the option that they can offer, it bears examining because the big difference with a credit counseling consolidation plan is you put all the debts together, you get a single payment, but for most debts, they're able to negotiate zero interest. Okay. So that's much better than 29, much better than 19, better than 12, right? Yes, very. Yeah, Mm -hmm. a lot better than 12. Yeah. Now, you can still run into a few challenges there, though, um, because first off, credit counseling is only going to work if you're dealing with those debts that are essentially being covered by those banks. So you're dealing with a collection agent for the bank. If you try to get them to help you with a student loan or an income tax debt or something like that, they can't do anything for you. So the government stuff does not get covered Mm -hmm. under credit counseling. That's and that's really important because right. student debt for sure, yep. that's, we know so many people that they fall into that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a good option at the time, right? Yep. Education's a good thing. And that's what you need to do in order to get it. Uh, and uh, income tax, uh, and it could be personal, it could be business, yeah, it, it could, could be, be GST, it could be a number of things. Yeah. And now, it's also the case, it might not even be government debt, but it might be you know another creditor, another bank or credit mm. card company, or even a personal creditor that doesn't want to deal with the credit counselor, right? Right, Because they've got no legal authority. They are a collection agent being funded by the bank. So if you're dealing with the bank's debts, they're very happy to work with you. But if that's not your whole situation, it might not be enough of a solution that you're looking for. And again, let's come back to some numbers here. Yeah. So we talked about if you're going to consolidate 
consolidate the debts, you're looking at about $665 a month over three years to pay it off with Based interest. $20,000 consumer yep. debt. That's what my debt is going into this. Right. So if you were to do a credit counseling plan, your payments are going to be lower. On $20,000 of consumer debt paid off over three years, you'd be looking at about $550 per month. Okay. So a, a, a lot better mm-hmm. or a little bit better certainly than yeah. $660. Oh yeah. It's $110 difference there. So you know that that's real money on a monthly basis. Um, but unfortunately, that still might not be enough of a reduction for someone to really handle a situation here. So there's another option of debt consolidation that almost nobody thinks about when they start to think about how do I consolidate my debts? We all think about going to the bank. Some of us think about going to a credit counselor, but very few people actually consider approaching a licensed insolvency trustee to consolidate debts through a consumer proposal. And because it's sort of a a brand new thing for people, they don't actually, they haven't heard of this before, Mm -hmm. and it is kind of new. certainly new being called uh, a consumer proposal. So that's the new part of it. It's been being done for quite a while, Mm -hmm. but it's not been called that before, right? Right, exactly. So, you know, when I sit down with people and I explain that a consumer proposal is essentially a consolidation, but with a couple of really big differences and they're very positive differences, you know. So first off, no interest. So it's not 29, 19 or 12 or whatever. It's by law, zero interest from the day you file your consumer proposal can be charged on any of your debts and it includes government debts. And that's the difference. Exactly. So, so student loans, uh, CRA, w- GST, yeah, GST, whatever. GST, MSP, pick any acronym from the government, we can, de- we can <laughs> deal right. with them. Um, because when, we, when we're doing a consumer proposal, we're backed by federal legislation that says, here's the rules of the game, and I don't care if it's a bank or the government, everyone's subject to those rules of the game. So when you do a consumer proposal, first big difference, no interest. But the second is just massive, and this is, this is what really changes people's lives, is we've got to figure out if you're coming to see me at Sands and Associates, it's because you can't afford to pay off the consolidation loan. You can't afford to pay off the full $20,000 and nobody wants you in debt for the rest of your life. So in a consumer proposal, we offer to pay back what you can afford to pay back. We reduce the debt usually down to about a third of the total amount and you make payments on that reduced amount, which gets you out of debt much more quickly and inexpensively than just about any other way. And it's done over the same period of time, right? Yeah, let's come back to our great example, right? So we talked about $660 to consolidation loan, 550 in credit counseling. Elaine, $166 per month is what it would cost to clear $20,000 in a consumer proposal over three years, $166. So, I mean, just think about that for a second. That's an incredible savings mm-hmm. uh, and a really small, it's nothing to be laughed at, mm-hmm. but it's so much smaller than the other two figures that we were talking yeah. about. And it just would feel so much more manageable for folks. Yeah. And, you know, I sit down with folks all the time when we look at, and I say, you know, this is your probable proposal payment. They say, well, that's less than the interest charges on one of my single debts. And I was paying that every month and not getting anywhere. I can make that payment. I can have a balanced budget. I can provide for my family and no one can sue me, harass me, take me to court, do anything. You know, people just think this is the best thing since sliced bread. And I'm clear in three years yeah. paying that. Yeah. The other piece. You can even be clear sooner if you can pay it off sooner. If you know you can pay more than 166, double up and you'll be done in 18 months. Right. Mm-hmm. Very good point. And the other piece of it is, so what's it in, what, uh, what's the benefit or, or that's not the right way to say it. What's it, I can't think of this silly <laughs> How phrase. do I get paid? Is that yeah. It? How yeah. do you get paid? Isn't that funny? Yeah, no, I'll, wrap my head around that All good that question. Phrase. 
questions. And, you know, (laughs) one thing I love about being a trustee is transparency is built into everything that we do. So the government sets out legislation for a proposal. They also set out how a trustee will get paid. And for us to do a consumer proposal, you pay nothing beyond what the reduced debt amount is. So if we said that this proposal is going to be $166 per month, we sit down, we meet with you a number of times to file the proposal. The day we start the proposal, you make the first $166 payment, and then you just keep paying that over a three-year period. What you pay into trust in the proposal, the trustee gets a portion of that for fees. The vast majority of it is payable out to your creditors. So one way to think about it is essentially your creditors are paying the cost of the trustee. You're paying what you can afford, and that money gets split between debt repayment and the cost of the process, but there's no bill I ever give to anybody. It's, I'll meet with you for free. It's when we start the proposal, you make a first payment. The other the other key thing uh, that I think bears being repeated is that you guys are federally regulated. Yes. You're not some fly-by-night operation that you've just, this is, this is how you're going to make some money. You've set mm-hmm. it up this way. I mean, the amount of education and training that you yourself had to go through in yep. order to do this, as well as all the people. And it's just not this work. The other thing that Sands and Associates, and just touch on it, Blair, mm-hmm. the other services that you guys offer somebody coming in the door. Yeah, so for every client, you know, we sit down, we do financial counseling, we review their budgets. If it's a case that a proposal is not possible, we're qualified to help with a bankruptcy as well to help you get back to zero. We're the most qualified folks you could sit down to meet. We don't judge anybody and it's free to come and sit, sit and sit with us. The number It's easy, 1-800-661-3030 to book that free consultation and start living a debt-free life. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. There's lots of times in life when we need solutions, and some of those solutions are best left to the professionals. When it comes to money matters, for example, there are top four professionals that every financially successful person should know. And that's what we're going to talk about right now. Blair, who who are the top four people that we should know when it comes to looking after our finances mm-hmm. or dealing with our finances or if we're just going to start to deal with them? Who should we have on our in our toolbox. So yeah, on, on your team and the yeah. quiver, all, 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 that's, all, the, all those, all those, all those metaphors, whatever, right? <laughs> um, because, you know, Elaine, so many of my clients that come in to me, especially the self-employed folks, um, you know, they're really just searching for the right advisors, the right people to give them the right, you know, tools, right advice at the right time so that they don't get into trouble. Um, so I think today's segment is great because almost anybody listening here, if you're not aware of these professionals, you want to do a little bit of research. And certainly there are people in your life, in, in your life right now that probably could benefit from some help, even if it's not yourself. So let's go through, you know, kind of the the top four, not to say, you know, these are the only four, but um, these are definitely four that I think a lot of people tend to overlook and it's to their detriment because there is benefit to working with these pros. Okay. Number one person we should be thinking about. Number one person is a financial planner. See, and that can be scary for folks, right? Because they Mm -hmm. think, oh, this person's out to get something for me. I'm going to have to pay them big feet, blah, blah, blah. But why is it so important to have a financial planner? Well, the the biggest thing that a financial planner is going to give you, and it's right in the name, is a financial plan. 
And the number of folks that are just, you know, essentially driving blind with no idea about financial goals, about where they want to end up in the future, um, you know, you're not going to hit your goals if you don't have them clearly defined, you're working towards them. So a financial planner, every good financial planner is going to set you up with a written financial plan that's going to have milestones, that's going to have check-ins, that's going to give you some comfort when you look at it, that if your goal is to retire at 60 with a certain, you know, private pension income, you know, here's what you have to do. If your goal is to take a year off in five years and travel the world, you know, here's what you have to do. You work with your financial planner to set goals, and they're going to help you get to achieve those goals in the best way possible. And if you feel it's a bit singular, like you're just thinking about yourself here, you can think mm-hmm. about it in a larger scale too. It's it's financial security for your family, yeah. if that's where your focus is. Yeah, I think one of the best parts about working with a financial planner, we've had a number of them as guests on the show here, is they can really integrate. You know, They can pull in the right insurance product at the right time to protect you if you've got young children. You know, the right disability insurance product if your employer doesn't have it. Um, They can determine the right fees and the right asset mix, the right asset allocation, just different things where the average person doesn't have time enough to become an expert here. That's why you would hire a financial planner. And if the first one doesn't fit fit Mm -hmm. for you, then go to somebody else, right? I mean, that's the thing is to find somebody that works. And that's a great point, Elaine, too, because sometimes we just default into using the financial planner at the same bank that we've always went to. Maybe our parents went to them as well. And, you know, nothing against financial planners that are associated with banks, but sometimes you want to look a little bit more broadly and, you know, someone independent, they're going to have access to the bank's products, but they're not going to be beholden to them as well. Exactly. So as with anything in life, you want to ask the hard questions, you know, how is the person going to be compensated? Are they going to be acting in your best interest or their best interest? Because there are some differences. Yeah. You know, what are their qualifications? And then I would even ask, you know, do you have a couple of clients that you've worked with for a number of years, you know, not the last six months, five years or more, that would I could call and ask a few questions about your service? And if it doesn't feel right, move on to the next move one. Move on. It's too important. Okay. Number two, who's mm-hmm. the best person to have? Another number, one. Number two, and this is absolutely if you're self-employed or if you have any kind of complexity of, in your taxes, an accountant. You need an accountant if you're going to be dealing with CRA to file your taxes, to file your GST. A lot of the stuff you can do yourself, but the laws change so often. And the amount of folks that I see where they've just made honest mistakes over time, but an accumulation of honest mistakes to CRA can start to look like intentional mistakes. And then CRA can suddenly hit you with interest, with penalties, um, you know, different things like that that can make it really tough to get out of a tax debt. And again, if you've got an accountant and it's not working well, move on because there's lots and lots and lots of good people out there who have great ideas, who have lots of uh, information that can help you figure this out. Yeah, you got to find the right fit. You know, if you sit down with somebody and you get the sense that, you know, they're just talking for their benefit and using all the terms that you don't understand. And exactly. At the, at the end of a meeting, you've heard their voice, but they haven't heard yours. Well, that, that's not the right fit. Yeah. Right. And you don't need to go, you know, the, the large accounting firms, you know, the multinationals. Usually you can find a small accounting firm in your community. You can find, you know, some of the, the ones that advertise all the time about tax returns, that might even be fine for, you know, a small self-employed person. Um, but the big thing is just getting some advice because the number of people um, that I sit down with where they've gotten no advice and they've just gotten scared and paralyzed after a while, they just stop filing the taxes altogether. Sometimes people go 10 years not filing taxes. The government chases them. They're seizing their wages. They're always looking over their shoulders. If you've got a good accountant, the accountant will know, even if it's bad news, get that return filed because you don't want to be in the bucket of a non-filer with CRA. They'll throw the book at you. Another uh, another group of professionals that people tend to avoid as as much as they possibly can. And mm-hmm. in this case... 
no, you shouldn't. You should get somebody good on your team yeah. is a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, in many cases, it's probably a good sign in your life if you if you don't need a lawyer for sure. something, you know, catastrophic. But um, there are a number of situations where, uh, you know, having legal advice at the right time um, can really save you a lot of heartache later on, a lot of financial impact as well. So, you know, a couple of those situations, one would be beginning of marriage or cohabitation. So the BC Family Relations Act has changed in the last few years. You know, if you're dating somebody and spending a bunch of sleepovers, not quite married, so on and so forth, um, there's a chance that if that relationship breaks up, there could be some liability between the two partners for assets and for debts. Uh, If you've worked with a lawyer prior to that, you could talk about a cohabitation agreement, a prenuptial agreement, different things like that. Even if you don't have assets to protect, if one partner has debt, you may want to consider, does it make sense to really set out our various obligations before we go further on into our relationship? And even if a a prenuptial agreement, all those kinds of terms scare you, Mm -hmm. it's much better to at least know about them than to not know about them or to hide your hide. Hide, hide from it all. Oh, yeah, just to put put the head in the sand, Absolutely. so to speak. You know, and definitely if you've been in an accident or there's been an injury, um, I would say you're almost always better served to have someone advocating on your behalf. And a lot of those lawyers will work on a contingency basis, so you mm-hmm. only pay them if they're successful for you. Yeah, or if you need them on an appointment per basis and mm-hmm. all those Lot, there's lots and lots and lots of flexibility yeah. in seeing a lawyer. One th- piece of advice I'd give our listeners here is if you don't know how to find a lawyer and you think you need one, there is the BC Lawyer Referral Service. So if you just type that into Google, BC Lawyer Referral Ser- Service, you can get referred to a lawyer. You pay $50 for the first consultation. Um, you know, $50 hopefully is not an insurmountable burden for most people, and you'll definitely feel better You yeah. know that you'll get some advice there. Absolutely. And the fourth person, do-do-do, mm-hmm. you get to toot your own horn <laughs> oh, here. Oh, who could that be, right? yeah. <laughs> the uh, the licensed insolvency trustee. Yeah, so if, if someone's listened to the, to the show for a period of time, I hope they would understand that a licensed insolvency trustee is not somebody that every client comes to see. We put them into bankruptcy, we put them into proposal, and we click next, you know? Mm-hmm. An LIT is a financial professional that's going to look at someone in a debt situation, look at all the potential options that are available to them, and if they need help to restructure, an LIT is the only person that can either file a bankruptcy or file a consumer proposal. And for folks that are listening who don't have debt and hope to never be in that situation, that's great. And I hope we don't meet professionally. But in many, many situations, there's someone in everyone's life. But I would also think it would be you'd be a good person to see just to take a look at where I am right now, mm-hmm. for example. And maybe you see some pitfalls that I haven't seen yeah. yet, or I I haven't you know that I that I'm not anticipating. Mm-hmm, definitely, I, I, that's part of the fun part of my job is sometimes sitting down with someone and saying, you know, I can see where you're going here. And if we, you know, do a proposal now, we head off and we stop the bleeding, we adjust the budget, we're going to avoid this catastrophe that's three or four years down the road. You know, I'll sometimes sit down with families and when we look at their budget, you know, there's a six or $800 gap between the income and the expenses. And we'll work hard on how do we close that? How do we get the debt payments down so that they don't have to dig deeper each month in debt? Excellent. So for information on any of the services that we've talked about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this.
Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Looking before you leap. And I love this phrase, and you guys, you've used it. Is it a long-time phrase or a new phrase? Uh, A couple years. It's even a hashtag. Oh, I love that. Hashtag. Get ready for it. Four times that knowing is not owing. So lots of folks sign their names to financial commitments that they don't fully understand. And I can say, um, I have signed my name to financial commitments Mm -hmm. that I've not fully understood, right? I mean, because sometimes there's pages and pages and you go, whatever, and I just trust. Well, think about the iTunes service agreement or Facebook. Has anybody read the terms of service? But you just it's coming back to bite. Right? Yeah, yeah, just up. Yeah, yeah, totally. So serious consequences, four basic examples of knowing is not owing and checking these financial, potential financial hazards before making a commitment can save you stress and money. Um, so what's the first one that we need to, that we can put under that uh that title, knowing is not owing. Well, taking on new debt. That's definitely a situation where you want to look before you leap. You want to take the time to ask all the right questions. Um, You know, some really basic areas to review, regardless of the type of the debt, um, is first off the repayment terms and interest. So you're getting money advanced to you. You know, when do they want it back? Um, You know, when are payments due? Is going to take it directly out of your account on a certain day or they depend on you to make the payments proactively? what portion of your payment goes to the principal and which to interest. Um, So this can be interesting too, because there's certain lines of credit you can get that are just interest only. Um, And if all you do is pay interest only every month, you'll never pay down this debt. So, you know, as long as you know that going into it, that's fine. Um, But if you think you're making progress every month and you're just paying interest only, well, then you'll get a big surprise in a couple of years when you look closely at the statements and see that you owe pretty well what you the same as when you started. Now, I know one of the pieces, too, about the penalties for missing or making late payments, mm-hmm. but there's sometimes penalties uh, for wanting to pay it off sooner. Yeah. And and that, I just think, is morally wrong. Oh, man. And those can be is. can be hugely significant. If we're talking a mortgage, for yes, example, I have I people in my office, you know, sometimes there's a $30,000, $40,000 difference oh. in, in mortgage penalties. I'm like, wow, that's a nice day for the lender to make to make that yeah. all, all at once. You know, that just, yeah. I, like I say, I just don't think that's right. If, if you're in a position that you can get rid of this debt sooner rather than later, yeah. I think, but anyways, that's just my thing. Uh, so penalties definitely for missing or late payments. And of course, yeah. penalties for making a, a wanting to pay it all off sooner. Yeah, there can be that. And again, it's all got to be clearly spelled out here. So there's going to be a legal document. It's going to be written in legalese for sure here. But if you take the time, you know, you'll see all this stuff that's there. And it can be pages of this stuff too, which is the other annoying thing for the layman, for like somebody like me who has no financial background at all. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a level playing field at, at all. That's so, what I feel. Yeah. Right? So, you know, for folks that are lucky enough to maybe have a trustee in their Rolodex, for example, exactly. or, you know, a lawyer or an accountant in the family, they've got someone that they would they would go to. Um, you know, obviously anybody listening, they could call Sands and Associates and, you know, bring in a new agreement that they're thinking about. We can look at it and you say, would well, do that. of course, yeah, nice. you know, here's some potential pitfalls. Here's what we've seen with other clients. Yes. Um, you know, one thing that I see people do quite a bit, uh, and sometimes this is really buried into the fine print, but it's to sign on to all of these weird insurance and protection programs, mm. you know, balance protection insurance and disability protection insurance. And, you know, sometimes if you don't sign on to those, the bank starts to outbound call you with telemarketing saying, oh, this is a great program. You really should sign on to it. And, you know, a guide for me is the harder the bank is working to sell it, usually the less value it is to the consumer. Um, so the number of clients I've had where they just can't believe, oh, I've been paying 15 bucks a month for balance protection insurance for years. I didn't know that. 
Yeah. Well, it was clearly in the contract that you signed here, and that 15 bucks a month has just went to pure profit on the bank side and done nothing for you in terms of helping you pay down the debt. I remember when I bought a car once, a br- it wasn't a new car, it was a, a, a previously owned car, and I felt like I was really pressured to take on this other piece of insurance, mm-hmm. and I can't even remember what it was for now. It was a number of years ago. And um, I was sitting there by myself, and I was at the car dealership. You know how they always oh, yeah. often will have an insurance person either yeah. working in their office or or comes in. But anyways, and I, you know, I felt being I was taken advantage of because of that. And and there was something that played on me that he said uh, about the insurance and why it was important. And it just seemed like, well, of course I'll take that. Like why wouldn't <laughs> I? Yeah. And. I've always regretted that. It didn't cost me a whole lot of money, but it did cost me money for sure. And, yeah. you know, it's, ah. Well, no, Elaine, and you you thought about it after the fact. You went into to detail about it. And if someone even looks at these balance protection insurances, you know, yes. if you look at it, all it does is it just continues to pay your monthly payment in the event that you lose your job or become disabled for a period of time. We know just paying your monthly payment really doesn't get you anywhere, right? You know, you're going to be on the 60-year cycle, the 80-year cycle to pay off any reasonable size of a debt. So many of the insurances, all they're going to do is help you tread water. They're not going to actually solve a problem, which is what insurance is supposed to do, is supposed to solve a problem if you need it. Right. Good point. That's really important information. Um, Other things that should be really clear about when the payments start and when the last one is. Yeah, you'd want to know the term. Is this totally. is this open-ended? Again, can you pay it off at any time? Is it over a specific term? Um, you know, you generally want to have the ability to plan out the next you know, three to five years of your finances and know how this debt is, is going to impact. And then that last one, of course, the one that I asked about paying it off early without penalty. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that's not done anymore, right? Not often because most people don't have the ability, Fair unfortunately, enough. right? Fair enough, yeah. Yeah. Um, what about the commitment to pledge an asset to secure the debt? Yeah, this is one that you've really got to be careful about because sometimes it's really obvious. If you're getting a mortgage, of course you've pledged your house. If you're getting a car loan, of course you've pledged your car. But there are some um, local community-based lenders um, and they'll offer financing where they'll actually take security over your personal household items. And the way my clients have related to me is, you know, you'd be sitting in the office, they'll try to get you approved with no security and they'll come back from head office. Well, a little bit risky. We're not sure about this. And usually you're borrowing money at, you know, 20 or 30%, like quite high fees anyway. Huge. Uh, high interest cost. Yeah. So then what they say is, okay, to get head office comfortable, uh, why don't you just tell me, you know, do you have a bicycle at home? Do you have a TV? Do you have a couch? And they start to write all these things down. Um, and then you sign a few more documents that maybe you didn't read closely. And what's happened is you've given that lender security over your personal household goods. Goods. Wow. Now, are they going to come and seize your bicycle and your television? Well, probably not, but they have the right to do so. And yeah. the fact that they have that right and they will threaten that and say, we'll be at your door to take these assets, you know, that's going to create a whole world of stress that you wouldn't have to be subject to if you had not pledged assets as security. Exactly. So, it's, yeah. And I, and I don't know, maybe this is uh, taking us off track for a second, but in a consumer proposal, I remember we've talked about before, the fact that you can't lose those things. Yeah. Somebody can't come in and take them. If you filed official documents and, and it's a consumer proposal that you're going to pay this money back, nobody can take your stuff. That's exactly right, Elaine. That's the point of a consumer proposal is you make a settlement offer with your creditors and that's in lieu of you surrendering any of your assets. Yeah, which could be your couch and your TV and your bed and your car and... 
Yeah. Depending on its values, right? And what, what's really perverse about the whole situation here is the law in BC basically says, you know, even if you were sued in court, it's called the Court Order Enforcement Act. If you were sued in court and they needed to enforce a judgment and start to take your property, the province of BC says, hey, wait, there's a certain exemption, a certain amount that people are allowed to retain. It includes their household furnishings. It includes their clothing, their medical aids and things like that. So the government says, you need this and you never have to lose it. But if you go and sign it away, well, then you've just contracted out. Right. of that protection. Lost so that protection so be very have. careful. I've never seen anyone who said, hey, I'm happy I secured my household goods here. <laughs> Most people really regret it if they even knew that they did it at the time. Most people don't even know it. Right. Uh, co-signing is one of those things. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the answer here, as, as we talked about in a few segments, is just to really understand that if you're co-signing, you're agreeing to be responsible for 100% of the debt. And if the person doesn't pay the money back, you're going to be held accountable for it. So when you co-sign, I really encourage people, you know, when the pen's in your hand, think about the worst case scenario. Think about if the borrower never pays another dollar on this debt, would I still sign my name? Would I still be okay? And would I have to pay if I co-signed a debt, let's say for $5,000 and the person wasn't able to pay that? Mm -hmm. And then the lend the bank or whoever comes to me for it, am I paying that plus all the interest owed as well? Or am I paying that? It depends. Um, and most of the time, it's the answer that's not to your advantage, which means you're paying everything because most of the time it's an unlimited cosign or an unlimited guarantee. So, you know, if they had to incur legal fees, for example, to try to pursue on the money, they might add that to the debt or a bunch of other fees, default fees, over limit fees and things like that. Okay. Usually if you cosign, it's not for a certain fixed amount. In the best cases it is, in the most sophisticated cases it is, but for the vast majority of cases, you're just signing to be just another borrower there and they'll throw you know, everything at you at that point. Okay. <laughs> one more reason not to, one more reason not to do it. Well, and you know, one pitfall here to, to really focus on also, Elaine, is the idea of a supplementary card. So if you get a credit card, the credit card companies or the banks are always saying, you know, why don't we give one to your husband or your wife? You know, yeah. let's get a supplementary card. You know, maybe it's $50 for the year. Maybe it's nothing, you know, just a, an extra benefit for being a great client. But what happens is quite often the person who's got that supplementary card is implicitly guaranteeing the debt. So they could be held accountable um, if the primary cardholder is unable to pay the debt back and has to do a proposal, for example, the supplementary cardholder might find the bank coming to them saying, well, you're another pocket that we're going to start digging into. And then you say, well, I just got this card. I've only used it a few times. Well, by you using the card, you agree to be responsible for all charges. Right. So you got to be careful about supplementary cards. Very careful about that. Um, now, uh, marriage. That comes under that this category too, right? Four times knowing is not owing. Yeah. So, and, and this is a positive part of it. This right? is really positive because if yeah, if you're making decisions as a couple, the worst decision usually is for you to just pool all the assets, pool all the liabilities, and treat them the same. Um, because if you assume that one partner owes what the other partner owes, um, then you would do it that way. But there could be a situation where one partner is quite financially secure, has a lot of assets. Maybe the other partner has a lot of debts. The wrong answer for the couple is to take one partner's assets to pay off the other person's debts. You would do that if you thought you had no other option and everything is pooled automatically, but it's not. You know, essentially one partner could take action to deal with their debts. The other partner could preserve his or her assets without a problem. And the whole family could be much better off by just knowing that just because you're married, you're not marrying the person's debt. It still be, still remains individual. Yeah. And then, and then it also made me think of the, the great uh, debt counseling that, uh, that Sands and Associates offers too in the situation of one person is done the com consumer proposal and is clearing up that 
bit of a, a an issue and the other person is free and clear but boy oh boy it's a good idea that both of them go in yeah because you know it's often it's not just one person often that uh, has taken them over the or you know taken themselves to owe a lot of money uh it's maybe lifestyle stuff that mm-hmm. they can look at and yeah for counseling especially we encourage you know both partners to come in to attend and, and they usually both got a lot out of it and the last one and we'll just mention it briefly as we wind up is debt management Yeah, you've just got to be careful who you take advice from and understand that not all debt professionals are are created equally. So if you're dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee, obviously at Sands & Associates, we're very proud of our approach to client service, but we know every licensed insolvency trustee is reputable and competent. If you're dealing with anybody other than a licensed insolvency trustee, you might be getting very bad advice. You might not be getting something that's going to solve all your problems and you might be paying fees with no guarantees of results. So be careful. Excellent. Go to the website. Sands & Associates has a really great website sands-trustee.com. There's just pages of really good information, frequently asked questions with really good answers. And then if you want to take it a next step, give them a call. They've got a 1-800 number. It's 1-800-661-3030. Get that free consultation and then to find an office near you. It's such an easy thing to do. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us now is Chef, uh, Chef Helena. She's been a local fixture in the Vancouver area community, culinary community, for almost 30 years. She has cooking classes, great tips, and uh, she's going to inspire us and give us some good information. Uh, also, I want to add Red Seal certified, teaches lots of courses. That's how we know she, uh, Chef Helena is from uh, from Blair, who's taken a class. And we're just so glad that you could join us today. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to, pleasure to talk to everyone today. So, of course, our show is all about dollars and cents, making sense out of the money that we have, living expenses, crazy these days, yeah, always is. going up, right? Yep. So... How do you cut back on your household budget for food? And I mean, is there a way to do that well? And But you don't want to skimp uh, and not eat well, but how do you do it? Or can you do it? You can definitely do it. Uh, you really need to learn how to uh, minimize your food dollar uh, and your budget the best uh, you can. Everything has gone up just recently again, uh, 4 to 6%. And unfortunately, everything always keeps on going up. So we have to learn how to use your culinary dollar to the best advantage. And one of the things that I like to do is I like to use my flyers for when I'm, whether I'm teaching a cooking class or I'm catering an event, uh, if I can use the flyers from the grocery stores, it will help me save some money, which means more money in my pocket. So that, that's one of the major things that I do. And I always make a grocery list. And the other thing, especially, you know, not necessarily in the summer or the winter time, but you need to really shop the uh, not only the flyers, but shop the freezer section of your grocery store. You've got some great produce there that's frozen and it's packed and picked at the peak of perfection, which makes it perfect, and it's always ready to go and less waste. That's a really good place to just to get started to save some money. It's a really good suggestion because I know sometimes we sort of get, or I, I have to own this, I get in this habit of, well, you know, I'll just go once a day and see what's on or see what's available. Uh, but that's not the best way to, to actually save some money. Not uh, really. <laughs> right? And a lot of people shop um, 
they say it's like it's like shopping like a Frenchman is what they say. You know, you go in, exactly. you get your baguette, and you get your, your nice little piece of meat and your veggies for the day. Yeah. Well, you know what? Every time you go in the store, you also buy that one extra item. And, you know, you start, well, you know, I need this and I need that. You really, I mean, people used to go grocery shopping like two, three times a week. You can you can do that still two, three times a week. And, and you really need to make a grocery list and stick to it as close as you possibly can. But obviously, if there's something that's a steal of a deal on sale... You need to grab it at that time. I think the flyers is a really good suggestion too, yeah. only because there's something. It's something that I recently discovered. I spend some time with them. We've got you know three or four grocery stores in the area where we live, yeah. and there's some great deals. And it's and it's stuff that you can put in your cupboard or put in your freezer, yeah. uh, and it's good quality brand name things, yeah. uh, but not costing an arm and a leg. That's right. You know, I mean. Using your pantry is super important because there you've got your little mini store, which everything was on sale when you bought it. I mean, everything from soup to nuts will go on sale eventually, and it's usually within within a month. So, I mean, you can wait a month for your tomato soup to go on sale or a month, you know, for your canned corn to go on sale. So, you know, when things go on sale, buy two, and this way you're not strapped. Let's say, for instance, you go into the grocery store and you're buying pineapple, canned pineapple. This week it was 97 cents. I had to buy it in an emergency because I actually didn't have it in my cupboard, and it cost me almost two bucks. Right. That's, exactly. that's double, you know. It means it's one buck less in my pocket. So you really want to try to buy things on sale. And right now, things there's a lot of different loyalty programs that are going on. And, you know, I get stuck into buying in a certain store to get that loyalty, but sometimes it doesn't pay to, to do that, to save the $30 or whatever. Sometimes you just need to go to different stores and... You know, it's all about the money. It's really all about how much money in the end that you can put in your pocket or keep in your pocket. It's easy to spend. It's hard to save. It's yeah. really difficult. Yeah. So you want to try to keep as much as you possibly can in your pocket. And along the, that, that line, um, Chef Elena, we, we uh, speak on the show about a lot of our client experiences. And when someone comes in to us, one of the first things we help them with is let's look at their budget. Let's figure yeah. out where is the money coming from and where is it going each month. Yeah. And when you ask people to set out a food budget, that's probably the one that people have the most difficulty yeah. with. And they always look to me, you know, well, what's a reasonable benchmark, a guideline? You know, you can spend as much as you want, but, that's you know, what, what's a reasonable, um, you know, place to start. So what do you think for a single person or, you know, up to a family of four, what should some budget for groceries on a monthly basis? I mean, I really think that you're looking at about $200 per person per week sometimes. Um, Mm. You know, it depends sort of seasonality. Um, It depends also um, health concerns. Sometimes people need certain certain food products. Um, So so a single person could be $800 is a reasonable ballpark? Yeah, about... about six to eight hundred dollars. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow, that sounds like so much. I ne- I think I need to start collecting my mm-hmm. grocery receipts <laughs> yeah. when I'm done and add but, them up at the end of the but, month. But you know, I mean, people don't people forget and they don't realize every month. Even for my own personal family, I do a little budget and I go, okay, I spent, let's say, I spent mm, eighteen hundred dollars this month. So next month, I'll sort of you know, I'll hone back a little bit. I mean, you have to sort of see. You have to use the stuff that you have as well. Uh, you have to use the stuff that's in your pantry. You have to use the stuff that's in the freezer. And if you end up throwing the stuff away that's in your freezer, you're just throwing money right down the garbage. So people people want something fresh and new and, and you know, and you can buy, there's a lot of great things that you can buy frozen, which extends the shelf life of things as well. And when people throw leftovers in the garbage, you're throwing money away. I'll give you, for instance, yesterday, my father and myself, I had a little piece of salmon left over. It was only four ounces, which is really not very much. And I made a curry out of it. And all of a sudden, that four ounces, so two ounces per person, stretched. 
and with all the veggies and everything and a little bit of rice, it was a fantastic meal. Now, I know I would have spent 20 bucks in a restaurant for it, and, of course, you'd get a drink and you get an appetizer, <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, that it probably cost me under 10 bucks to feed two people, and that was just by using some leftovers. So throwing leftovers in the garbage is not the best solution. I'd have to agree with you. I'm one of those people who loves eating leftovers. Not everybody does. Yes, some leftovers are better than others. <laughs> that's true. Absolutely, that's true. Let's talk about some more tips on how people can eat. Uh, and the other piece of this, too, I think is really important, is really healthfully yeah. on a budget. Well, you know what? There's a lot of convenience products out there. Um, you have to be sort of careful. And there's a lot of things where you're walking down, oh, I need this and I need that. And you're realizing, you know what? That's not the healthiest option. Really, you should be, idealistically, you should be shopping on the, not in the aisles, if possible. You want to be shopping around the perimeter of the grocery store where all the fresh stuff is, all the fresh meats, all your fresh veggies and everything. But, you know, shop around and see. I quite often go to different ethnic grocery stores, and I'll pick up something that I wouldn't normally pick up, like lentils, and I will make, you know, a meal out of lentils, and, and that sort of lowers your grocery budget, and lentils are super healthy for you. And so... There's a lot of little tips like not buying things that are pre-done. I'll give you a huge for instance. Not buying pre-chopped vegetables like mm-hmm. onions. It, it, you're paying two to four times more for something like that that's pre-done. So some things are really cost-effective. So when you buy frozen spinach, you're actually getting in that one package about four package, four bunches of frozen spinach in that one frozen package. So great, great value for your money. But you just have to watch out and take a look and go into the bulk bins. You know, maybe get some different beans and legumes, um, maybe stretch your meal out with a little bit of pasta. And you don't need to have all pasta. Throw in some veggie noodles, which is really popular right now. Great fiber, low in cost, super healthy. So that's another way to sort of to stretch things along. How about meal planning, Chef Elena? Is that is that something you abide by as well? Because that's a bit of a challenge too sometimes, but it sounds like it would be a good idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. People walk in and they just grab stuff off the grocery store in a panic to get dinner on the table. I mean, it's dinner. People can wait 10, 15 minutes extra. So you really want to plan ahead and plan with the flyers. So, you know, you see chicken that's on sale, so you buy two chickens, so you're going to have maybe chicken pot pie one night, a roast chicken the next night, utilizing, once again, your leftovers. And you need to plan it, plan things out. Things, once again, will go on sale. So this way you can make the most of your of your budget. And and just in the last 30 seconds here, any other resources you'd like to share with, uh, share with the listener? You know what, you really need... To- People need to learn how to cook. You need to take a cooking class. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. What you need to do, um, you know, going out for restaurants, really super expensive. So take a cooking class. We offer cooking classes privately through our catering company. Uh, we offer classes through Langara, Eden West, Well Seasoned. So we're a little bit, we're everywhere, all over town. It's, you really need to learn how to cook. I mean, that's, people are going out, that's where they're blowing a lot of their budget, just going out for dinners. Check out uh, Chef Helena's website, graysonscatering.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.